What's up, guys? Welcome back to another week of 30 and Nerdy Podcast. We are your hosts, Josh and Tyler. Have you ever had that feeling where you don't know if you are asleep or awake? Have you ever thought choice is an illusion created by those in power and those who aren't? Red pill or blue? Make your choice. Take the red. And let us show you just how deep the rabbit hole goes, nerds. This week we talk all the massive nerd news, what to watch in COVID-19, and dive into the philosophical science fiction of the first Matrix movie. All that and more, because 30 and Nerdy starts now. It's time to get nerdy. It's the 30 and Nerdy Podcast with your hosts, Josh Davis and Tyler McDaniel. Brought to you by Advertising Expressions, Encore Theatrical Company. 30 and Nerdy is an alternate reality radio podcast and a member of the Legion of Independent Podcasts and a Badcast Company production. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join the conversation using the hashtag 30andNerdyPod. Find us in the Pod Nation on Podchaser.com and rate this episode. Got something to say? Let us know. Email us at 30andNerdyPod at gmail.com. Cheers to you, nerds. And now your hosts, Josh Davis and Tyler McDaniel. Welcome to the podcast where everybody knows your name. Cheers to you. Cheers to you. This is 30 and Nerdy, and I am your host with the most residing in my quarantine sanctum nerd torum, the Duke of Nerdledge, the Sire of the Nerdy South, the Sweet Tea of Nerdlosophy. That's right, it's me, it's me, it's that N-E-R-double-D, Tyler Mack. Always great to be joined by my co-host from the Fortress of Nerditude in the town of Morris. He writes your prescriptions, the juicy one, the nerdtorious JLD, the PhD of nerdology, the suit of this zoot suit riot, Sergeant Sound Effect himself, Bazinga, Dr. Davis. Wow. I gave you a hard time because I didn't get new nicknames. Mm-hmm. Then you give me a new nickname, and yet again, it's a disappointment. <laughs> I did it to be a smart aleck. You excel at that. <laughs> Apparently, I do. It, it, it is quite apparent. You're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> what you been into, man? So much has been going on. This is, I, I think I said last week, it, to be in quarantine and for everything to be closed down, I've been pretty busy. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's been the case again. It's been crazy uh, up in here. We've had so much going on. A lot. For example, we found out some pretty big news that's been, like, I guess on the down low for yep. several years now. And ironic that it came out after we just did our second 90s episode. Right, right. So this week it was released that the Buffy the Vampire Slayer 
Arguably one of the most popular popular shows to come out of the 90s, especially for nerds and fans of the supernatural, uh, had a secret executive producer. Uh, it came out that Dolly Parton herself was a third-party secret producer the entire time the show ran. Do you think that when she was working on the show, she worked from 9 to 5? <laughs> You slay me. Hey, Dolly, if you're looking uh, for other things to be an executive producer of, uh, a couple of hometown boys here yeah. running a cool little podcast. Absolutely. And, uh, you know. We could use that'd be the okay. Help. Yeah. You can be a secret, too. We won't tell anyone. Okay, I would not keep that a secret. I would tell every person that I knew. It would be the nerds of many colors. Not as good as yours. No. Nah. Good try, though. Thanks. Other than that, there's been some other exciting things happen. Like, I got to see your ugly mug a couple nights ago Mm -hmm. on the Zoom. On the Zoom, because we did a little theater. (laughs) Never thought I'd see the day where we had a theater performance on a computer. It's crazy. Like, Dad walked in a couple times uh, to um, get some stuff out of the room I was recording in. And uh, I would just mute the mic so nobody could hear him walk through. And he would stand there and watch a little bit. And he was just like, I mean, this is crazy to me because, you know, you know, I think like what all I have seen in my almost 60 years of life. And he was like, and you guys are doing Shakespeare via the Internet. And I was like, yeah, it is. It's pretty cool. That's right. We're talking, of course, about the fact that uh, we did a little show with our friends over at Encore Theatrical Company. Uh, Midsummer Night's Dream by William Shakespeare himself. Mm-hmm. It was a really cool experience. By the time that this episode drops, I think that the Midsummer Night's Dream will also be up. So we will be sharing that. So look out mm-hmm. for that. Check out your boys in the uh, the big show. Oh, the big show. It's going to be a pretty big show. Speaking of big shows and yes, yes, theater yes. and stuff like that, yes. we spoke uh, a couple months ago about how we did a cool project with our friends over at Freddy Cat Productions. Mm-hmm. You and I got to go to the old uh, Walter State Community College Theater where we did a lot of shows back in the day. Mm. And we did one last little performance together. Uh, we made a little commercial. Mm-hmm. And... In celebration of one year of 30 and Nerdy, we are releasing that video today. Yeah. As you're listening to this, that video is released because May 1st is our official one-year birthday. So, happy birthday, JD. Happy birthday. Yeah. I'm excited. This has been good. Uh, You were telling me off air, a friend of ours shared that many podcasts don't go past how long? I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was like a lot of any podcasts, they're done after like six episodes or something like that. Maybe it was 10. And here we are a full year later. And we've uh, had a lot of things uh, going on with the show since since we started. So yeah, um, yeah, it feels good. It definitely feels better than those early days. Those early days were difficult. Um, when we were partially like using crates as a table and <laughs> I was on a futon and you were in a recliner and I was hunched over most of the time just so you could hear me talk into one microphone. We were sharing a mic. <laughs> it's oh. definitely come a long way. <laughs> yeah. Those were the days. Stick yes. with me, kid. You'll go far. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm definitely happy to continue 
Here's to many more years of 30 and Nerdy, my friend. Absolutely. All right. Well, last week, if you tuned in, we went back to the 90s again. In part two of Nerdin' in the 90s. Will we go back for a third time? We don't know. We just do this stuff off our cuff half the time. And Will it ever stop? I don't know. <laughs> so uh, you can find that anywhere you cast your pod. Uh, a fun fact did come out. Um, ironically, another 90s fact came out looper put out an article recently uh why some of our favorite shows from the 90s was canceled and, yeah uh, because we, we talk about how the 90s had the greatest uh mm-hmm. shows and movies and stuff i mean we're a little biased of course but yeah. it's like why would these things ever stop why would why would you stop such a great thing and now we finally have the answers mm-hmm. now there was a list of like 15 shows but i only took uh five so the verse on the Animaniacs is very popular. However, it was canceled to make room for a more popular IP that would have been cheaper for WB to carry, Pokemon. It mm, was more expensive well, to in-house do Animaniacs than it was to carry Pokemon. You know what? That was that, that turned out to be a good move. It did. So uh, yeah, that worked, that one worked out pretty pretty well. Uh, also, next Spawn the animated series. Uh, was canceled after a bad third season and a spiraling HBO animated division. Did you know they had their own HBO animated division? I did not. Um, no. I remember there being a Spawn show, mm-hmm. though, but I never watched it. Mm-hmm. I did not watch the animated series. Yeah. Batman the Animated Series was what I watched. They're both very similar. Dark. Oh, yeah. Very kind of, not full-on anti-hero, but Spawn was, was, I think in the 90s, as much as I liked the movie, like, grasping onto some of that Spawn mythos. Like, you know, he was brutally killed by his boss and betrayed, made the deal with the devil, and became this very scary superhero type. So, it had an eclectic taste, I think. Yeah. I think. Speaking of Batman, though, uh, that animated series, uh, even though it was still one of Fox's most popular TV airtimes, and WB's most popular IPs, the creators had run out of ideas and wanted to end on a high note. You know what? I commend them for that. I I respect that. You don't want the quality of the show to go down because you're just, you know, reaching for ideas and end on a high note. You can't fault them for that. I wish a lot of shows uh, would have done that. For example, Once Upon a Time... We've oh, talked gosh. a little bit about that. You know, you, you said you were going to watch it again. Yeah. You know, I that am. first season, maybe the first two or so. Fantastic you know, Yeah, se- season one I thought was excellent. And then it just became, ugh. They started really reaching, just, especially around yeah, four Yeah, big and time. And, and the timeline was so convoluted, it was like impossible to follow it for me. Uh, yeah. And I just got to the point where I didn't care. It was just trying way too hard. So mm-hmm. I, I let it go. Uh, another very popular show, Gargoyles. Uh, however, it did not perform to Disney's expectations as competition for Power Rangers. That's another one that worked out, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Gargoyles was a big deal, but Power Rangers uh, was bigger. definitely way bigger, so that worked out. Um, and some other Saturday morning cartoons, like uh, this sp- particular block of cartoons, like Smurfs, Alf, Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, a deal was sign to air Notre Dame's football games during that block and then start turning towards sitcoms like Saved by the Bell instead of cartoons. Interesting. That was where the the change started happening, I believe. From 
the cartoons we grew up with to then the the year the the era of the sitcoms like Saved by the Bell, Family Matters, Full House, stuff like that. So those are just a few. I thought it was interesting that we've had quite a few things come out about the 90s since our second trip to the 90s. Um, and I just thought it would be worth mentioning, definitely. That's right. It's time for me to talk nerdy to you. Your nerd vocabulary word of the week is social nerd. Social nerd. Mm. Yes. This is an admitted nerd by any standards, like yourself or, or me, JD, who also maintains somewhat of an alter ego in keeping up with social moments, like we go to Tennessee football games. Sure, sure. But we're nerds. Most nerds would not be caught dead in Neyland Stadium on a Saturday. Yet we do. Um, social nerds can kind of weave in and out of the world. Uh, they kind of they live in that gray area. The world is not black and white to a social nerd. Now, I would admit to it being a nerd, um, but keeping up with non-nerd happenings um, and watching other non-nerd culture might be frowned upon by old-school nerds, like we've discussed before. However, these days, you can be a social nerd and have a safe place in our nerddom. So, These are the rules, people. I mean, this is how it works. Mm-hmm. That old I mean, nerd tatorship that used to make the rules, they're gone. You can be any nerd you want to be in this new nerd right. world order. You really can. Break those chains, man. Take that red pill. Tear that wall down. That's right. Break the walls down. Why don't we get to your favorite segment, JD? And it is called Whatcha? Watching. So, JD, what you been watching, brother? So the Clone Wars series has been going on since February or so on Disney Plus, season seven of the Clone Wars, and it has been really excellent stuff, man. Uh, right now, this I think we have three episodes left, but they did this really interesting thing on the latest episode where the timeline is very obviously in the middle of episode three. Oh, uh, yeah, there's. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil it, but mm -hmm. something is said. Obi-Wan says something that you know, like, oh, wow, this is episode three for mm -hmm. sure. So I'm wondering how far they're going to go into that. Are we going to get a glimpse of Darth Vader? I don't know. Are we going to get to see a little bit of Order 66 on the show? Oof. I don't know. I think that'd be cool. Uh, but yeah, it's great. Uh, another thing that was really cool about this past episode was the there was a, a big battle that finally happened. Uh, Ahsoka versus Darth Maul. Hmm. And we'd never seen that before. It was really uh, probably the best lightsaber duel on the history of the show. It was motion capture. And Ray Park, who played Darth Maul in episode one uh, and also in Solo, he did come back to do the motion capture for the show. Wow. Uh, so everybody, if you're a Star Wars fan and, and you're familiar with Clone Wars and all that stuff, definitely check out this new season and especially this past episode. Uh, it was really great stuff. Now, Ray Park was also Toad, correct? In the X-Men right. movie. That's right. Hmm. I don't want to talk about, you know, I did say I was going to watch some Boy Meets World last week i did i don't want to talk too much about it but i've also been hooked on going back and watching uh, movie and tv bloopers <laughs> like parks and rec bloopers office bloopers you've always loved that stuff i love that stuff man because it shows that they're human and 
you know, they crack up just as much as us. I mean, how many times have we cracked each other up during a rehearsal and had to, you know, you just think about these big Hollywood actors make the same flub ups that we do on a stage in Morristown. So I really got hooked. The entire, you can look on YouTube, the entire blooper reel of the MCU thus far. Some of the best bloopers from the MCU, from Iron Man 1 all the way to Spider-Man Far From Home. And it's it's fantastic stuff. Hilarious stuff. Uh, but yeah, I don't know why I just get this hankering every now and then to watch Hollywood bloopers. Well, you know, it's not a bad idea uh, for people to maybe consider watching that themselves. We're in a really unusual uh, time right now, and people could use you know some laughs, so... If you just look for movie and TV bloopers on YouTube and find mm-hmm. your favorite show, like The Office, he said, is on there. We used to love to watch the Lord of the Rings bloopers. <laughs> uh, <I can laughs> like do it, Peter. Christopher Lee getting his, his Saruman costume caught on the stairs and <laughs> complaining to Peter Jackson about it. Great stuff. So that that's a nice little pick-me-up. So I think that's a good suggestion. Yes. Yes. What about you? Well, uh, beyond things that I've been watching, I've been doing a lot of reading uh, this past week, which is a good thing, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wonderful, amazing wife got me an iPad Aww. with our tax return, uh, and I'm using it for notes for the show and games and you know stuff like that. And I have been reading some comics on my Ooh. iPad. It just is. It's a lot easier, you know. I, I I love the traditional having the book in your hand, of course, but this is just so convenient. And uh, Mm -hmm. so I've been reading some Neil Gaiman stuff. Now, Neil Gaiman is one of the most brilliant writers in the past, I don't know, several decades. Yes. Uh, He's, uh, if there was a Showtime show uh, called American Gods, that was based on a book of his. If you've ever seen that movie Stardust, it had Mm -hmm. Charlie Cox in it Mm -hmm. and it had Robert De Niro. It was a great movie. Doesn't get enough credit, I I feel like. I think it's very underrated. Well, I think it came that. out in a, in a, a time with like the Golden Compass and Lord of the Rings and Harry yeah. Potter, so yeah. it kind of got pushed under a little bit. That's that's a good point. Uh, but Neil Gaiman uh, had a stint in comics. He he did a lot of work in comics for both DC and Marvel. Mm-hmm. And I knew that he did this series called The Sandman. I've known about it. I've heard a lot about it. Kevin Smith mm-hmm. raves about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I had never taken the time to read it. And I decided, because there are ties to Sandman in The Matrix, which we're talking about. So I thought, I'm going to read Sandman. I'm going to finally do this. And it's one of those things when people tell you, like, oh, I wish I could be you and discover this for the first time again. So I really tried to think of that as I read it and really enjoy it. And man, it was one of the greatest experiences that I've ever had reading comics. And I've I'm not as much of a comic reader as like a lot of people. Some people are, they've read everything that there is. And I've never been that guy. I've read a ton of Marvel stuff, obviously, but I've read a lot of comics and this was just really special. This was just one of the most incredible things that I've ever read. I highly recommend it to everyone. The Sandman by Neil uh, Gaiman. I actually got to read the first volume for free on the Comixology app. You can get like a membership there, and I've got a free trial. So I read the whole thing in like uh, two days. Couldn't put it down. Uh, it's about uh, the god of dreams. Yeah. And he's he's known as Morpheus. He's known <laughs> as the Sandman. And he carries this bag of sand, and he has a gem, and he has like a, a helm that he wears. 
And essentially what happens is there's this dark sorcerer, you might say. He wants to summon death Mm. and hold death hostage. And when he does his ritual to summon death, he gets the Sandman instead. And it causes the whole, like, it causes a lot of people's dreams to be messed up or they sleep for years and years and, and it, everybody goes crazy. Um, mm-hmm. And the story follows Morpheus' dream as the hero and he's going to reclaim his, his relics and all that stuff and try to set things straight. Uh, and it's a really incredible journey. And uh, I think there's yeah. about to be a Netflix show yeah. based on this. So I'm really looking forward to that. I hope that they do a good job with it. And yeah. there's also uh, DC is working with Audible to do a Audible audiobook oh. version of the comics. Well, I'm hooked on Audible right now, man. Yeah, I'm listening to books read, instead of reading them. You, right, but you got to read this one though. I mean, visually, the story, everything about it. There were some moments where I had like some really emotional reactions to it. Uh, can't recommend it enough. It's one of those. Like treasures that comic book readers from back in the day, they hold it on such in such high regard. Yeah, and now I'm one of those people too. That's so I'm awesome. really looking forward to all that stuff. And apart from that, Neil Gaiman also did some work with Marvel. In 2004, they released this book. Well, it was a limited series uh, called Marvel 1602. And basically, what Neil Gaiman did with this was he took the Marvel characters that we know and put them in a sixteen, the year sixteen o two, and like it's in England. So the Queen of England is is a character, and Doctor Stephen Strange is like her advisor, <laughs> and Sir Nicholas Fury is is like the her general, the head of her armies, and the whole Spanish Inquisition's going on, and Magneto is the Grand Inquisitor in the Inquisition. Oh my gosh. It's it's amazing, dude. The X-Men are in it. Spider-Man is in it in a former fashion. There's a couple of big surprises. I don't want to spoil that. But yeah, I finished it up today. It was only eight issues. It was a great read. I really enjoyed it. Highly recommend it. I'm going to have to check that out. Go read some, uh, go read some comics. Cause, yeah, because uh, Kevin Smith talks about Sandman at least every episode, if not every other. Um, he's high on it, and I wonder if he's got something to do with it at Netflix. If he's getting to work on it some. It's probably one of those things where he would say, no, I don't want to touch it because I want to get to experience I want to be it a like fan. everybody else. Yeah. And plus, he's always afraid he's going to mess stuff up. He's like, oh, I'd screw it up. So I when don't want to touch doesn't. it. he doesn't. Everything That's he touches. Why he... His episodes of The Flash and Supergirl have been the best since the show started. Oh, yeah. It's just... That's why he won't. That's why he won't do anything with Marvel. He's like, I just want to be in a Marvel movie. I don't want to... <laughs> Yeah. Well, in a roundabout way, he was technically in uh, Captain Marvel because Mallrats was deemed a thing, and Stanley was his cameo was memorizing his lines from the Mallrats script. So technically, Kevin Smith's in a Marvel movie in a roundabout way. So this past week, uh, if you follow me personally on Facebook, you saw that we did those the Mac Olympics for Christopher's birthday. Well, in between. The Mac Olympics. Uh, me and the nephews, Bryson and Colton, sat down and watched every Disney animated movie we could, from Cinderella to Fox and the Hound to Peter Pan. I mean, we watched probably within that weekend nine to ten of the old animated Disney movies. Just taking him through my my 
Disney World before Pixar stuff started coming I'm looking along. forward I'm looking forward to doing that stuff with Emma one day, but she's just not quite ready for that because she only wants Frozen. That's yeah. it. We we yeah. can't try new movies, you know, we're just not there yet. Yeah. Occasionally we'll do Moana, but it's like Frozen or nothing around here. Frozen well, City. We got to the part of Fox and the Hound where the the bear attacks. <laughs> and I'd forgotten how sad that movie was. Oh yeah. Um it used to be one of my favorite. Um mom said when when he was a kid, um Tyler would say, Let's watch uh Copper and Todd. Let's watch Copper and Todd instead of saying Fox and the Hound. And I was like, huh. I was like, I don't love it anymore. <laughs> this is freaking sad. It's a terrible movie. Wow. It that movie destroyed me as a kid. Yeah, a it got to the bear boy. attack and Colton ran into the other room. He's like, uh oh. Just uh oh and ran into the other room. Uh but I enjoyed it. Gotta love that old school Disney. So uh let's get to some news, but first let's hear from a couple of our sponsors. <laughs> Ashley Lodge Photography is the place to go if you want an original, creative, and fun photo shoot. A true variety junkie, Ashley's main focus is bringing out genuine personalities in all the vibrant colors that make your life unique. Specializing in commercial and dance photography, Ashley Lodge has 15 years of professional experience and is available for any type of photo shoot. Weddings, headshots, seniors and newborns, Ashley has the passion and creativity to offer each client a truly one-of-a-kind experience. Clients enjoy photo shoots in a full commercial studio located in downtown Morristown, as well as anywhere else on planet Earth. Seriously, Earth is huge, so dream big! Ashley is ready to enthusiastically leap into whatever amazing art you, your family, your company, or dance studio is inspired to create. If you mention 30 and Nerdy, you will get a 20% off discount from Ashley. So, check out www.ashleylodgephotography.com to become inspired and book your next photo shoot. Our dear friends at Encore Theatrical Company are not immune to the COVID-19 pandemic. Shows have been canceled this season, and we do not know when it will be starting back up. However, they have kept busy online with the presence of hashtag Encore Intermission. Now, every day they release cool things like mini concerts, a look back at the history of Encore, um, focusing on members of Encore and community members and their junior uh, company members. Also, we just discussed that we did something really cool, a Zoom version of a Midsummer Night's Dream. They've got all these things to offer on their social media. Check them out on Instagram, Facebook, and their website, etcplays.org, where it's not just theater, it's Encore. All right, welcome to your nerdly news, and let's start off with some Disney news. Uh, fitting that I should share this news with you. Hmm. Disney recently reported that through April, it had laid off over 100,000 employees to save $500 million a month. Investment banking groups, UBS, published a report saying that Disney could not reopen until 2021 if things don't change fast. So is this talking about like just the parks? The parks. Wow. Yeah, we were planning to go in October this year. We've got it booked and everything, but I don't know that it's going to happen. Think about this, though. They could reopen them next month. Okay. Say they say we're reopening in June. 
all parks. But one of two things happens. One, nobody goes and they're paying more to keep the lights on than they are making in tickets. Or two, they have to limit how many people are in their parks. I think that I read something about that already, that they would have guidelines they'd have to follow, like limiting how many people come in. So like no walk-ins, only reservations and stuff like that. That would make sense. And to be honest, dude, they need to they need to lower their maximum number already anyway. Mm-hmm. Because when it's that crowded, when there's like 20-something thousand people in the park or however many, it's miserable. You can't yeah. move. And then like if you're there and it starts to rain... <sighs> Really heavy exodus. rain. Everybody's trying to get undercover, go in the gift shops and stuff. You can't move. Mm. When it's uh, the fireworks show at, at night and everybody's trying to get up close to the castle, I mean, you can't breathe. I'm, I have such terrible anxiety attacks when we're in those big crowds. And I'm so worried about stepping on somebody because people are sprawled out on the ground and everywhere else. And I'm a big dude, man. If I step on a kid, it's going to hurt them. So I'm like super overly cautious, tucking in all my elbows and everything. I hate it. That's that's the negative thing about Disney. That's the thing that I dread okay. about it. You know, no, if man, I can I sit here and say, like, as much as I love going to Disney, I, I could spend every day at Disney all day. But when it comes to the fireworks show, like, I'll go sit in the back somewhere. I can see just fine. I don't want to be up in all these people, you know. It, they need to limit that. Okay. Because somebody, like th- at those castle shows, somebody's going to get hurt one of these days. That makes me think of smaller venues, too. Okay, if Disney is thinking that, how do you think Six Flags and Dollywood that don't see that many people in a day, how do you think they react to reopening? Oh, yeah. What do you think they do? You know, honestly, I I, I don't think it's a good idea to reopen. You said, oh, like, next month? No, I, I don't think so. But you said some people probably, you know, may not go. Dude, people mm-hmm. are going to go. People are going to go, uh, you know, they're going to, the, the day they open, I'm going to be there. I'm like, yeah. you just go on ahead. You go on ahead. You, you, you go ahead there, Karen. You take your seven children. I love Mickey, but he ain't worth <laughs> dying over. So, <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Moving on, though, Bethesda is focusing heavily on their newest RPG called Starfield. Bethesda's Todd Howard sat down with IGN to talk more on the company. With E3 canceled and Bethesda saying there will be no online announcements coming soon, this interview is all we have to go on for Elder Scrolls VI material. In the interview, Todd says that Elder Scrolls VI will be a next-gen release, hearkening back to the days of oblivion for the world of Tamriel. He finished up the interview saying these need to be games that people will play for at least another decade. Wow. And that's true. Well, I mean, uh, Skyrim lasted them that long yes it has but it is definitely time for a new one sony pictures may have just delayed venom 2 let there be carnage but the studio is developing a live action movie adaptation of the popular manga called one punch man with a screenplay from the writers of the original venom movie sony stated that this is a move to add another franchise universe to their label to grow on i have not seen one punch man but i know that it's popular i hear people talk about it a lot and i'm not a huge fan of the venom movie but the action i feel like would be would be similar uh the way that they did their fight scenes and all that stuff uh very over the top uh stuff so i think that would be good for for a manga style movie agreed agreed i have not seen one punch man i think logan's a fan of that anime 
Yeah. Uh, he'd have to explain it a little more to us. Recently released wrestler EC3 took to Twitter making hints to a new character and taking pop shots at his former employer, WWE. Stranding together these tweets read as follow. Unpleasant truth. The red pill. I am not the top 1%. The top 1% is a character that could garner a reaction to entertain you, and it's a character. I could do better than anyone else. It was a reality that I was simply imitating. But in the industry, there is a true top 1%, a power hierarchy, a charlatan's cabal who have entered us into their creative totalitarianism. They abhor free speech, punish you for revealing your true self. And they wash their hands of you when a worldwide pandemic affects their bottom line. I accept that. Do you? Reject their narrative. Reject their falsification of history. Reject their commands of obedience. Free yourself. You have been warned. Mmm. Those are definitely some pop shots. <laughs> yeah. And also some interesting ties maybe to our topic today. The Matrix. It is. Maybe Apparently, he's going to be the EC3 one. three had the same thought we did. He must have. Man, we're really on to something here. I'm telling you. Maybe he'll wear sunglasses and a trench coat and mm. fly to the ring. We should have our own show. AEW would do something like that, to be honest. Agreed. Agreed. That's not a shot, but they would do that. It's true. Speaking of released WWE talent, Sportskeeda reports that with each talent that has been released comes a 90-day no-compete clause in their contracts, retaining them from showing up on a competitor's show during the three-month period. Some WWE agents have thought about using the recently released talents for some tapings before they are officially released after the 90 days. Names like Maverick and Logan have been mentioned along with many others for use in squash matches that would bury their characters before they are released. Mm. Could you imagine how crappy they'd be to know they've got, they retained you and they're still using you. But once that 90 days is up, you're gone. So I imagine that that 90 day, no compete thing is, uh, because of the aftermath or is a result of, the attitude era when guys would leave one company and show up on TV, you know, the next week at the other place. So that's probably the reason for that. Cause I don't, I mean, I don't understand the business end of that, why that would matter, but it seems kind of unfair. And I remember that years ago when Alberto Del Rio was either released or contract ran out or something happened, he was under this 90 day thing and he like tried to sue him over that. Yeah. Because he's like, you're telling me that I can't go earn a living. That's yeah, not pretty much. How does that work? You know, WWE, there's this mentality people have like, when you're under a WWE contract, they own you. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Disney, you might say. Uh, but they don't, you know, and if they say, all right, you're done, we don't need you anymore, then it shouldn't matter what they do, right? No, just, it shouldn't. It's just my thought on it. I agree. Uh, I agree. But speaking of WWE, there's a little more WWE news. Former WWE manager. Dutch Mantel, a.k.a. Zeb Coulter in the WWE, tweeted out that the site WrestleTalk mentioned recently that Vince McMahon has been in talks with Fox and ESPN about possibly purchasing the mm. company. Yeah, I've also on. heard... We've talked about this for a few weeks now. I've also heard Amazon's name thrown out there. In Ooh. 
this would be big news if Vince McMahon sold sold the company. Oh, gosh, that would be huge. This is something that people never thought would ever happen. Yeah. That the WWE would be in the hands of the McMahons for, you know, generations to come. Yeah. But uh, it would be really interesting to see how things would change with the brand, with the McMahons out of the picture. Or would they still be involved? I wonder how that would work. I don't know. I wonder if it may be the best direction to go. I think so. I think it is. I think that it has put too much pressure on the McMahon family that they own it to be too involved. Right. They're too involved, as it is, and they own it. So maybe if they didn't own it, they would, I don't know, the blinders could be taken off. I, I don't think that it's a matter of that they're too involved. I think it's that they don't give enough freedom to their talent Mm-mm. to to do their own thing, you know, to let them perform and be creative. Agreed. But I also look at their perspective on it too. They're a publicly traded company. They have to, with their, the people who advertise with them and all that stuff, they got to make them happy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's business. I, yeah. I get that too. The Ocala drive-in in Ocala, Florida was the single source of the entire U S box office the past weekend, grossing $5,315. It showed two films, a World War II biopic called Resistance and a psychological thriller called Swallow. While this isn't the only drive-in open in the United States, it is the only one reporting its earnings. And I've got to say, I think that we could see the death of theaters and the rebirth of drive-ins after this. Could be. I have never been to a drive-in movie. I would really like to do that. Really? Yeah. When I was in middle school... We went to a drive-in to see The Lost World, Jurassic Park 2. And that scene where the raptor jumps out of the cornfield is way scarier on that size of a screen in the outdoors. Where do we we have one around here? Isn't there one in like Elizabethton or something? Yes, yes, yes. The one I went to used to be in Newport. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 hasn't even begun. But in a recent interview with Comic Book Movie, James Gunn was asked about a fourth installment to Guardians of the Galaxy, quoting, I have no intention of a fourth installment. I set out to do a trilogy. A fourth installment would garner a second trilogy that I have no intention of doing. Aww. Kind of like, let's, let's go back to what you said earlier. You don't want it to run its course and water itself down. Right. So a trilogy of Guardians would be great and still see them in crossovers. Uh, I guess it just depends on how Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is. You know, if it ties everything up nicely, then I'll be mm-hmm. okay with it. But it's just sad to think of, you know, the Guardians not continuing because it's just so good. That's that's one oh, of yeah. the best uh, little Absolutely. side, side uh, sections of the MCU. So... I would just hate to not get any more of that. Mm-hmm. Empire sat down with Darren Aronofsky to talk about his unmade, R-rated Batman Year One live-action film. In his interview, Darren discussed that the studio and he were never on the same page. The studio wanted Freddie Prince Jr., and I wanted Joaquin Phoenix. I remember thinking, uh-oh, we're making two different films here. The Batman I wrote was definitely a way different type of take than the studio would end up making with Batman Begins. 
Would have been nice to see an R-rated Batman, I think. But Freddie Prince Jr.? Ooh. You don't like Freddie? I mean, yeah, as Fred and Scooby-Doo, as his character and I Know What You Did Last Summer, but a Batman? Yeah, have you not watched Rebels yet? At all? No. Freddie Prince Jr. is the voice of Kanan, but... No, I think I think he could have pulled it off. What about Joaquin? So think back. This is what two thousand six, two thousand seven, before Batman Begins. I don't think Joaquin Phoenix was uh, Batman material. I don't. Yeah, I don't think he's Batman. Needs to be kind of handsome, right? Joaquin Phoenix is not. (laughs) Is he considered to be handsome? I don't. No, he's not. I wouldn't think so. He's really not. So. I don't, no offense, Joaquin. I would, you know, <laughs> you know, Freddie Prince Jr. He's a good-looking dude. I I could see that. Well, so. and knowing that it's year one, maybe I could see Freddie. Yeah, I could see that. I don't hate it. The Batman, originally scheduled to open June twenty fifth of twenty twenty one, has been pushed to a new release date of October first, twenty twenty one, following its production hiatus. Many believe this to be a better time, considering it sounds like it could be based on The Long Halloween. This also has WB pushing back titles like The Flash and Shazam to 2022. I hope that it is The Long Halloween. I do. I really do. And I think that makes sense because we're hearing that there's going to be so many villains involved with it. Agreed. This is the perfect opportunity to do it. You never know. Mm -hmm. A live-action television series based on the popular books Goosebumps is being developed at Sony Pictures Television. Goosebumps movie producer Neil H. Mortiz will be involved with the production. There is no news yet on if this connects with the movies, how it will affect film sequels, or if R.L. Stein will be involved in any capacity. Uh, I have not seen the second Goosebumps movie, but I did see the first one, and I really liked it. Uh, Jack Black is in those. Yes. So it'd be really it'd be a win if they did this and did connect it to that, and they had Jack Black come back Agreed. and either narrate the show or be a part of it in some way. Well, yeah, because that could open up so many books that they haven't done in the movies. Right. The smaller names, like obviously when you think Goosebumps, you think of the Haunted Mask, the Night of the Living Dummy. You think of those two definitely. But the smaller uh, characters and smaller scary stories could work in a television outing. Yeah, when I think about Goosebumps, I think about the one that on the cover it was the skeletons and they were grilling out or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Was that Say Cheese and Die? Uh, I, I thought, mm, yes. Well, I got the Google here. Why don't I just... To the Google. Type, type that bad boy in. Say... <laughs> cheese and i it was Ooh. they got the skeletons standing out there having their the barbecue you know, the cookout the barbecue daddy skeletons mm. wearing his chef hat i would hate for a skeleton to be cooking my steak because it would be a little too bony <laughs> nothing <laughs> i think that's funnier than my other one that i made <laughs> hey do, do you want to hear uh, two short jokes and a long joke? Yes. Joke, joke, joke. <laughs> <laughs> and the last piece of news we've got is actually somewhat of a breaking news that just aired last night. Ubisoft has unveiled the new Assassin's Creed game titled Valhalla. 
showing a Viking character in its yeah, artwork. Did you, did you see the trailer for this? I have not looked at it yet. Is it cool? They, yeah, we shared it on our uh, social page on Facebook. They, it's like a four-minute trailer, uh, all Ooh. pretty cinematic and stuff. But yeah, dude, it's beautiful. It looks great. I'm really excited about this. I just finished Assassin's Creed Origins. Uh, I don't know, like a month ago. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with that. That was yeah. one of the last ones they released. They did that and Odyssey kind of close together. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to Valhalla. It's coming out. This Christmas, along with a lot of other good stuff, so I'm really looking forward to that one. And that is the end of your nerdly news. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the East Coast Avengers. I, Dominic, one of your hosts, along with JT, Darren, Josh, and Christian, come together and talk all things nerdy. The East Coast Avengers bring you the latest news, topics, and opinions with passion and humor from all around the nerdscape. So head on over to anchor.fm slash East Coast Avengers podcast where you can listen in on different platforms and join in on the conversation. What's up, guys? It is almost time for some new swag from 30 and Nerdy Podcast. And there is only one person we do this with, and that is Zach at Advertising Expressions. Now, he shot me a message the other day saying they have a new deal going on that starts today, May 1st, through the end of this year. They are running a COVID-19 special. They are going to be offering 19% off of orders of $190 or more from today till the end of the year. You must use the promo code NERDRONA19. That's N-E-R-D-R-O-N-A and the number 19 when placing your order. They want to see your name in front of as many people as possible, as often as possible, and for as long as possible. Things will have to restart soon. Businesses, schools, churches. So why not get your name out there while you're rebooting? Check them out. Advertising expressions right here in Morristown, Tennessee. And we're back. And it's time for us to... On The Matrix. Now, what is The Matrix? You might be asking yourself. If you really want to know, look no further. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room, this very podcast, you can see it when you look out your window or turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Mm. That's dramatic stuff. That's deep stuff. It is very deep, and we were talking off air that... You do not really re- realize how deep the rabbit hole goes until you're Holy researching cow. the movie. The Matrix is something I remember being a big deal uh, in high school and everything. And of course, mm-hmm. I've seen them. I, I own those movies. Uh, but it's like a lot of things that we talk about. It's been a while, so I've forgotten a lot about it. Mm-hmm. I've seen the first one the most, obviously. I'm the most familiar with that. But there are so many little illusions and references and things that I never caught, I never thought about until studying up on the movie and watching it again a couple of times this past week. And I have just really fallen in love with the matrix again, because this is, I've rarely used this word to describe certain movies. The matrix is a masterpiece Mm. in my opinion. 
Well, and agreed. And I got to say, man, I mean, we were in middle school when this first came out. And when we first watched it, we were in middle school. So your middle schoolers, you know, could be considered old enough to watch this. And you could do a killer illusion and philosophical in in literary literary terms on the matrix you could use it as an entire study if you wanted to because there's so much literature that it alludes to that you just you just ignore oh yeah mythology religion uh other movies and books uh, philosophy i was telling you about there's this connection to the allegory of the cave, Plato's allegory of the cave. Mm-hmm. And basically in that, it, Plato talked about how these people are chained up in a cave and the only things that they see are shadows on the wall in front of them from things like in a fire behind them that they can see. And the philosopher is like this person who is able to break free of that and he turns around and he sees the real world. You know, but the people who are still in the cave and they're tied up, they're totally content because this is the only life that they know. This mm-hmm. is exactly what the Matrix is like. Like, if the Matrix were real, we are in the Matrix right now, you and I. Yes. Sit, this chair I'm sitting in, it doesn't exist. This computer that I'm on doesn't exist. None of this is real. Mm. And it's really one of those, like, <laughs> it's, it gets all existential, right? Yes. Like, what is life? What is this world? What, what is reality? <laughs> Why so when are they we talk here? about exactly, and when they talk about going down the rabbit hole and stuff, that's that's what they're talking about. Like this is some trippy stuff, but it is awesome. So we hope that you folks at home have gone back and rewatched The Matrix. It is on Netflix right now. So if you don't own a copy, you can get it on Netflix. The whole trilogy is on there. And uh, if if it's been a while, maybe pause. Go watch it because it's worth watching. I've watched it twice this week and loved every minute of it. Mm-hmm. Come on back and join us because we got all the info here. Well, we got a lot of the info. There's still tons <laughs> of things that, that we're not going to be able to touch on. But we got all kinds of great things here to share with you about The Matrix. I'm excited about it. I'm very excited. Let's dig in. Let's when I was it. When I was digging in, though, um, I realized that we could go so deep into learning about the matrix and all of what it connects to that we could wind up in a corner crying, you know, worried about, am I, am I real? Is this real? What's going on? (laughs) I mean, it could scare you when you start studying this movie, but it's also enjoyable. Why don't we get into a little movie info? This was released March 31st, 1999 on like getting ready, ready for the fear of the new millennium coming up. Considered as one of the greatest science fiction films of all time and was recently added to the National Film Registry in 2012. Rightfully so. I mean, this movie is iconic. And all these little elements of the movie, like Neo stopping the bullets, that's something you see replayed all the time in like mm-hmm. classic movie clips. The thing when he's dodging the bullets, that's iconic. That's the first time that's been done before. Yes. All that great stuff. The, the red pill, the blue pill, another iconic thing. It's just great. It's just so good. You brought up an interesting thing there about, you know, the new millennium and people were scared of computers. Y2K. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. if you're one of our younger listeners, look up Y2K. Go to Google. Y2K. Uh this is way before your time, but I remember those days and I remember when the clock struck 12 for the new millennium. I had a flashlight in my hand because <laughs> we were told 
we were told like all the power is going to go out, all the computers are going to stop, and planes are going to fall out of the sky because the calendars aren't aren't set for uh, switching over to the new millennium. Yeah, it's going to be chaos. It's going to be the end of the world. The nuclear missiles are going to launch themselves. On the all yeah. this stuff. So I'm like <laughs> sitting on my bed holding a flashlight, like, oh no, here we go. I was a very nervous little boy. Now, a few years <laughs> but, later, after this came out, and after Y2K, we were turning the basement into my bedroom. I was finally getting my own room, not sharing with Nolan, and we turned the basement into my uh, own room. And while we were going through one of the closets, we found like three or four 12-packs of bottled water. And I was like, what the <laughs> heck is all this for? And Dad was like, Y2K. <laughs> it's like, we were, we were, were we really scared? And he said, well, we weren't scared, but... You know, I'd rather need it and not have it. Or, you know, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. It's like, okay. Yeah, we just we just stored the packs of water over there with the beanie weenies for the Y2K. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, this is a good movie to, to, to release at a time like that when people are so scared of computers. Mm-hmm. This movie is all about machines taking over the world and enslaving humanity. So it's, that's awesome. That's very fitting. Now, of course, The Matrix was written and directed by the Wachowskis, and they were majorly influenced by Japanese animation and martial arts films, and you can see that throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. In all these epic fight scenes, they do the things where they float and they fly long distances and all that stuff. That's all uh, work that's done on wires, mm-hmm. which comes from all this the, the Japanese martial arts films. That's right, and uh, it popularized the bullet time visual effect. Uh, the action in a shot continues in slow motion while the camera moves at normal speed. Now, this effect went on to become popular in video games like Max Payne, Dead to Rights, and a lot of other video games. Oh, yeah, you see it all the time. Kind of the bullet time. And, yeah, in movies, in video games, and also uh, Superman. Didn't one of the Superman movies borrow the effect with the, like, when Neo's flying and his cape is kind of yes. rippling out behind him. They borrowed that for Superman. Yes, that was uh, it. Superman Returns with yeah, uh, Brandon Ruth borrowed from The Matrix. Uh, I think that wasn't until Matrix Reloaded, though. It wasn't the first one. It was It was after this. The movie had a budget of $63 million, but at the box office worldwide, they racked in $465.3 million. So it's a major success. Ooh. So let's talk about uh, some of the characters. That we get to see in the Matrix. So our main character, of course, is Mr. Thomas Anderson, also known as Neo. That's his computer hacker name, played by Keanu Reeves. And there were a lot of people who were considered for the role before Keanu, mm-hmm. uh, such as I had heard Will Smith was one, and uh, Will Smith, Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Cage. That's right. Uh, Will considered. Smith had talked about how. One, he was unsure how the movie would turn out because he heard him talking about the, the bullet time thing. Mm-hmm. So he was a little apprehensive of that. And also he said after seeing the movie that he probably wasn't ready to tackle a role like that uh, in his career. I also saw that the Wachowskis wanted Johnny Depp to play wow. Neo. That would have been different. It would have been... I don't think I it would have hit. I probably see it. I don't know. I feel like I could see it. A young 1999 Johnny Depp, maybe. Okay. Yeah, because this is before Jack Sparrow. Right. And yeah. Willy Wonka, it's like, so... This is like four or five years before yeah. that. 
But I got to say about Keanu Reeves, though, to be <laughs> someone who his voice is kind of monotone and he doesn't have a lot of expression on his face, somehow he's still like an excellent actor. Oh, agreed. Right? And Neo, it was just like, that's Neo. You know, it just worked. Yeah. But I was noticing that, like, he just doesn't have a lot of emotion in his voice. I know Kung Fu. <laughs> but Neo, our, our hero Neo, though, there's so many connections to religion here. We talked about that a minute ago. Like, there's all these connections to Jesus Christ, like the Savior yes. and and the, the virgin birth, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And, like, in the beginning of the movie, the guy knocks on his door and he's like, oh, hallelujah, man. You're my savior, man. Yeah. And the music that he was listening to when he was uh, sleeping there was the song said, uh, you're not my savior in the lyrics. Yes. And uh, there's even that, you know, death and resurrection. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the one, the savior. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's tons of, of connections. To that. There's a lot of biblical references as you go through the movies. Yes. Uh, and of course, we also get to meet Morpheus, who is played by Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, very, Larry! Very, uh, like you talked about a little earlier, a lot of connections to the Sandman. The Wachowskis told Lawrence Fishburne that they sort of based the character Morpheus off of Morpheus in Neil Neil Gaiman's Sandman, mm-hmm. and you can see it if you look because if you look at the artwork in Sandman, Dream has these black, dark, empty eyes. He wears mm-hmm. a long black trench coat. Look at Morpheus, man. He's got those sunglasses, the black sunglasses that only cover his eyes. He doesn't have the like the frames or anything on them. Yeah. The, the little, yeah. What what do they call those? The temples on the glasses? Yes. He doesn't yes, need yes. them, right? Yes. Yes. He's got he the he's got the trench coat and everything, and he's waking people up from their dreams, right? Showing them reality and all that stuff. And he can the then real. take Neo, and he can take Neo to a dream too, like when they go mm-hmm. into their training things and all that. So. Definite ties to Morpheus in Sandman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Trinity, played by Carrie Ann Moss. Uh, her name, I would assume, Trinity. That's like a reference to Holy Trinity. Yes. Well, moving on, we've got uh, Agent Smith, played by Hugo Weaving. Most of you will know him from V for Vendetta. He plays Lord Elrond in Lord of the Rings. And as Agent Smith, he, he he's eerie. Every time he's in the scene, you don't know if he's about to kill you or give you some wise, ridiculous poem. <laughs> I mean, he's just, he's eerie. He's, and just his, his presence keeps you on the edge of your seat. And I think that's, that's all about his performance, Hugo's performance in general. Oh, totally. When they get to the the scene when he's trying to interrogate Morpheus in the end, it's like three scenes. There's a couple of cutaways back to the heroes, but it goes back to Agent Smith talking to Morpheus and he's telling him kind of the history of the Matrix. And Mm -hmm. he talks about how he hates this place and he can smell them and the odor in the Matrix and he feels saturated by it. He's so creepy and he's just one of the best villains in movie history, in my opinion. Agreed. Agent Smith is just awesome. And the fact that he could be anybody at any time and multiply to, you know, unlimited numbers of agents. Crazy. It's great. It is, man. I enjoy that character. But speaking of villains, we also have Cypher in this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joe Pantoliano. How do you say his name? It's uh, Joe uh, Pantoliano. Pantoliano. 
Pantoliano. So, uh, Cypher played by Joe Pant- Pantoliano. <laughs> Something like that. This dude always plays a sleazy character and everything mm-hmm. he's in just about. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about him. He's just uh, a sleazy dude. He's known as the sleazy stepdad in uh, Percy Jackson, those movies. That's right. Yeah, Ooh, he was also hated in... Him. Uh, he was in Daredevil as well. Yeah, he played... Uh, was it Ben? The reporter yeah. Ben? Yeah. Uh, I like him as an actor, but like you said, I mean, he's... he's I don't want to say he's he's one-shot type of actor. He plays the same thing. But his, his role in this movie is kind of that betrayal. He's the betrayer. Yeah, the Judas, you yes, might say. Yes, he's the Judas. I yeah. love his scene with Agent Smith when he's at a steak dinner and he's like, it's this. Oh, yeah. You know, I want this for the rest of my life. Being able to taste a real steak. Ignorance is bliss. And I want it. He's like, yeah, and he's like obnoxiously chewing that steak. You know mm. the dude's a sleazy guy when he's chewing with his mouth open. <laughs> and he's he's sipping his wine and, you know, oh, I want to be an actor and I want to be rich and I don't want to mm-hmm. remember anything. And, you know, what a, what a sleaze ball. Yeah, he is. When we also have the other crew members on the Nebuchadnezzar. We have Tank, Dozer, Apoc, Mouse, and Switch. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, most of them don't make it. No, they do uh, not. <laughs> spoiler alert. But there's pretty cool characters. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, the, uh, the, the Oracle. We get to meet the Oracle. And that is played by Gloria uh, Foster in this movie. Yeah, unfor- unfortunately, she only made it through the first two movies. She did pass away after filming her scenes for Matrix Reloaded, Mm -hmm. and then she was replaced for uh, the third Matrix film. We'll talk about that uh, in a few weeks. But Mm -hmm. the Oracle is another favorite character. She's just like the cool grandma baking cookies and smoking cigarettes and (laughs) telling you, like, here's what you need to do with your life, buddy. (laughs) Here's, Here's some grandmotherly advice from the Oracle. Now, the Nebuchadnezzar is not a character, of course, but uh, it's the ship uh, of Morpheus and his crew. But I wanted to just share this interesting little thing. So, Nebuchadnezzar is named after the biblical uh, king, Nebuchadnezzar II. He was an ancient king who had a dream that he couldn't remember, and he kept searching for answers. And there's, like, one good shot in the movie when Neo's walking through and meeting the crew and everything, you get a shot of the nameplate on the ship, and it says, Mark 3, number 11. Mm. Now, if you, go, if you go to your Bible and look up Mark chapter 3, verse 11, it says, And whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. This is clearly <laughs> another uh, reference to Neo being the one and, and those connections to the, the Christ story. Yes. So, yeah, cool stuff, man. You've done some digging, JD. I've done a ton of digging. Let me tell you. Why don't we get onto a little bit of the summary of the movie? Trinity, who has been watching Neo, is cornered by a police squad, but overpowers them with superhuman abilities. She escapes the cops and the mysterious suited agents after picking up a ringing phone just before the agents crash a truck into the phone booth. Computer programmer Thomas Anderson, known in the hacking scene by his alias Neo, feels something is wrong with the world and is puzzled by repeated online encounters with the phrase, The Matrix. Trinity contacts him and tells him of a man named Morpheus has the answers he seeks. 
A team of agents and police led by Agent Smith arrives at Neo's workplace in search for him. Despite Morpheus's attempts to guide Neo to safety via telephone, Neo is captured and coerced into helping the agents locate Morpheus, whom they regard as a known terrorist. Undeterred, Neo later meets with Morpheus, who offers him a choice between two pills, red to show him the truth about the Matrix, and blue to return him to his former life. After Neo swallows the red pill, he, his reality starts falling apart, and soon he awakens in a liquid-filled pod among countless others attached to an elaborate electrical system. He is retrieved and brought aboard Morpheus' hovercraft, the Nebuchadnezzar. Wow. So that's kind of like the first act of the movie, and Mm -hmm. you get to figure out who all the players are, and you get to figure out what the Matrix is uh, to an extent, and we learn how things aren't really what they seem to be. And there's so much to break down here. The first scene of the movie, you hear uh, Cypher and Trinity kind of talking over the phone about how Trinity's watching Neo. And Cypher's like, oh, you really like watching him, don't you? And she says, uh, you know, Morpheus thinks he's the one. So they've been talking about him. They've been watching him for a while. And what's even more... uh, Another reason why Trinity is probably watching him is because the Oracle told her that one day you're going to fall in love with this guy. That guy, he's going to be the one. So she's got a lot invested in this too, right? She's a big important part of this. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that she's watching him. And of course she's discovered by the by the cops and we see she's the first character to do any of the superhuman stuff where she's bending yes. reality in the Matrix and she does the cool little fly up and it hesitate in the air, and then she kicks the guy. Mm-hmm. That's when we see right now what kind of movie this is going to be, what the effects are going to be like, what the fighting is going to be like, what sorts of abilities that these characters have. We get to meet the agents there as well. And Trinity's holding her own and doing okay until she finds out that there's agents on the way. So we know the agents are uh, a big threat. So she's got to get out of there. You always she manages from an agent. Yeah, well, Morpheus says, he tells Neo, I'm not going to lie to you. Every person who has stood up to an agent and faced them, they didn't make it. Yeah. So, you know, it's in her best interest to get out of there. And so, luckily, she gets to the phone, and the next thing we know, they squish the the telephone booth with the the truck. Mm -hmm. But she's gone. So we we get to see this. uh, That's immediately shows us that telephones. Uh, wire them in and out of the matrix. Yeah. You hear that ringing phone constantly throughout these movies. That's how they're wired in and wired out. Almost plays back to those old days of dial up, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And that that's when like the camera zooms into the phone and then it comes back out into Neo's mm-hmm. computer and you see Neo sleeping there and um he gets the 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 message pop up on the computer about knock Wake knock fault follow the white rabbit yes a lot of and alice in wonderland did, illusion there did you see what uh was up on his computer he was looking up articles about morpheus so he's been trying to track down morpheus he's mm-hmm. heard about him too so he's looking for these answers and and he gets the knock on the door there, there's a group of people out there and the two main ones are twa 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 yeah twa yeah twa and du jour so, in French, if you put those together, choix and du jour, roughly it means choice of the day. 
<laughs> because Neo will be making a big choice. And mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, like when he opens the door and he, he gives the, the dude, the, the computer driver, whatever it was, he's like, Oh, hallelujah. You're my savior. Uh, mm. and, and here, here's one of those really, uh, subtle references. Neo's apartment number is room one Oh one. This is a tie to the story of 1984. There's a famous book by George Orwell, 1984. And in the year 1984, they released a a movie of that. And in that story, the main character gets put in room 101 by, because it's another movie about a a corrupt political system. Mm -hmm. And this guy starts to realize like, maybe things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. Like there's something else going on here. He kind of starts to wake up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, he, he's put in this room called Room 101, and this is where people have to face their worst nightmares. It's a bad thing. So Neo kind of living in the Matrix, unknowingly living in the Matrix, this is like his nightmare that he's got to wake up and break out of. Yes. Uh, now, um, there have been a lot of people who uh, are clamoring for a reboot to 1984 in uh, these day and times uh, because they feel that it is very... Uh, apparent that we are following the book yet again of 1984. Mm. Um, there's also a very successful stage play of it. That would be so fun to do. I think mm. it yep. would be great. Very deep message. Anyway, when Neo's talking to these two and the girl du jour, she kind of leans over a little bit. What's her tattoo? It's the white rabbit. And they say, Hey, do you want to, do you want to go to this cool nineties dance club with us where we listen to techno and everybody wears leather and he sees the tattoo of the white rabbit. And he's like, Hey, I'm in, I got to follow the white rabbit. <laughs> of course he gets there and, and he meets up with Trinity. Mm-hmm. He already took his first steps pretty much. The story progresses of course. And Neo is, is back to work sitting in his cubicle. He's getting yelled at by his boss cause he's late and he's just sort of like in a like in a little dream, like a trance, right? Mm-hmm. Suddenly, the UPS man comes or FedEx or somebody, and they give him a package, and it's a cell phone, and it's Morpheus. Morpheus trying to trying to lead him out of his his office building. It is not a smartphone, kids. <laughs> oh no, big old brick cell phone. Did you, something that I noticed though? Like when he's crawling out around the windows on the building. Mm-hmm. Why is he, why doesn't he like put the phone in his pocket or something? He's trying to hold on for his life, but he's still it, got the uh, cell phone in his hand. He's just not thinking. I mean, that's his lifeline to Morpheus and I get that, yeah. but I would like put it in my pocket. I'd be more worried about falling off of the 50 story building. <laughs> uh, and when he's up there, he, he, uh, drops the phone, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And does this stop yeah. and then oh, drops. Oh man. My belly flipped there because looking down at the street and everything and it fell and he almost fell himself. I was like, who dude, just, just playing games like Assassin's Creed's when, when you're on really tall parts before you do the Eagle jump, just mm-hmm. playing those games, I get weird feelings in my legs and my belly flips and I'm not even on the edge of these buildings. I'm just playing a fake character. That's in this fake scenario. And I'm sitting in my recliner like, oh, I feel sick. I feel sick. (laughs) We get that cool scene as well where he's captured by Agent Smith. And Agent Smith is like, you know, I I think you want to do the right thing. You want to help us out, help us Mm -hmm. track down Morpheus, right? And he's like, and if you do that, 
we'll clear your record and everything will be hunky dory. And Neo here, he's he's got some some grapefruits, right? This is why you know your rights because he's like, you know, that does sound really good, but instead, how about you uh, shove it? Because he knows his rights. He's like, I want my phone call, I want my lawyer, and, and the uh, next thing you know, he's but, like, how are you going to make a phone call without any lips? Right. His mouth starts closing up on him, and he can't breathe. He can't talk. And I was like, "Oh man, that's terrifying." Like this is nineteen ninety nine. And then he gets out the little scorpion thing. I guess it's a computer bug or something, right? It's a tracker, and puts it in in Neo's uh, synthetic Matrix body. Mm -hmm. He wakes up. He wakes up in in his room. Like, what's real? What happened? Was this a dream? So many dream elements to it. So many uh, moments so, of, are you a dreaming or are you awake? He gets another phone call or something where they say, no, Morpheus calls him, right? And Morpheus mm-hmm. is like, if you want to know the truth, you need to meet me at such and such place in time. They pick him up in the car, Switch is in there, and Switch turns around and points the gun at him. And she calls him, uh, she calls him Coppertop. <laughs> now, do you know why she calls him Coppertop? I do not. Coppertop is what they call anyone who is still in the Matrix. They, they've they not been woken up yet. Because, you remember the moment when Morpheus holds up the battery and he says, humans have become this to the machines? Ah. Human beings are, are batteries that power the machines. And Coppertop is a reference to the top of a battery. A Duracell battery, especially. Yep, yep. So that's that's where that comes from. Wow. And I also think there's a huge allusion to when he's in those cubicles, just in his mundane, boring job, boring life, terrible boss. You know, there's a lot to be said about that. Like, not just waking up from the fake world that he is living in, but waking up and get out of your cubicle. You know, there's so much world out there to discover, but you're just in this cubicle that everybody's doing the same thing every single day. And there's a lot to be said about that. Uh, in just the regular job world that we live in, you know, get out of your cubicle, live your dream, basically. Yeah, that whole idea is 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 done a lot, like the metaphor of us being enslaved to our mm-hmm. jobs and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, going to the grind, going to work every day, sitting in your cubicle, whatever. If you see the movie Wanted, which is like one of my favorite movies of all time, that's a big element of that movie too. Mm-hmm. So you see, it's this a lot. This is a common theme. And like all the, you know, this is a dream. I'm in a trance. I want to break out of this and get to the real world. I'm looking for the answers. Also, Office Spe- Space, a popular comedy about being stuck in a cubicle. Next to your, uh, what they told me. <laughs> they told me that I was allowed to get out of the Matrix for three to six hours a day. <laughs> I, can't, I can't take it anymore. If they don't let me out of the Matrix, I'm going to burn the Matrix to the ground. I'll do it. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Switch, though, by the way, Switch, according to the Wachowskis, and this is this is really interesting considering what happened with the, the, the Wachowskis. Switch was going to be a man in the real world and a woman in the Matrix. Because in the Matrix, you have that uh, memory thing, like you, your appearance is based on your own self reflection yourself uh, image of yourself right yes and so in the matrix she was going to be a different gender mm-hmm. or he was gonna yeah so 
you know, knowing of course the Wachowskis uh, went or were trans, mm-hmm. you see those early little little nuggets of that. I'm telling you, man, you're you are earning a new moniker, the Doctor of Details. I love the deets, man. I'm telling love you, the you ma- then you must love this. You must, this might be the most excited in a while you've been about a deep dive. <laughs> you're loving this. Neo gets familiarized with the crew and the ship and what the Matrix is and all this stuff. Morpheus has that great speech. Uh, we we read it at the beginning of the breakdown here about the Matrix is everywhere. It's you, when you go to church and you pay your bills and all that. And we have that iconic moment, the blue pill and the red pill. Mm. What do you do? I mean, you're Neo here. Imagine if this is real. You've been told what's going on to an extent. Like, here's the truth. Like, you're in a computer and all this. And I'm going to give you this pill, and you're going to wake up in the real world. And it's like, it's hell, basically. Like, the machines are taking over. We're outnumbered. We're at war. Most people are going to die. Here you go. Join us. Or, you take the blue pill. It's safe. You believe whatever you want to believe, I guess, he said. You You wake up in your bed, and you live on this life that you've made for yourself, basically. What a dilemma. Well, I mean, you know, I'm he's telling been you, man, for... I like to think that I would take the red pill just out of curiosity. You know? Just well, out we of... we find out, of course, some people do that, and then they, they regret it. Yeah. Like Cypher. Like Cypher. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a tough choice, man. Like, it's easy to say, oh, it's a movie. Obviously, you're going to you know, take the red pill and find out what happens. And yeah. Neo's been looking for the answers. Here's his shot at it. He didn't even hesitate. He just did it. Yeah. But I think if it were if it were real, I would stop and think for a minute or maybe I would have some more questions for Morpheus like can you can you give me some more deets here before <laughs> I elaborate? agree to this? Can you elaborate on uh what these machines can do uh and uh, <laughs> how they're going to murder me before I agree to such a thing? It's kind of like how, you know, when you when you agree on your iPad or your phone or whatever you hit the <laughs> iTunes Apple agree, you yeah. don't really know what you're agreeing to. Have we could you be agreeing <laughs> I'm, of course not. I have, exactly. haven't read one word of that stuff. We could probably be sitting there hitting, I agree to be a part of the Matrix, yeah. uh, and not even know it. I agree That's for how they get somebody you. to put a chip in my body through a drink of water at one day in my life. Um, yeah, so the the pill is like a, a track. It resets uh, mm-hmm. Neo in the Matrix, and they're able to find his real body. And we have that, that cool scene where... His reality starts bending, and he gets sucked up in the mirror, and and all that stuff. And he wakes up in the real world, and you see the endless pods of of people that are fueling that have the machines. not woken up yet. Yeah, right. The, and the burned... got all these wires attached to him, and that was kind of a, oh, in nineteen ninety nine for you know fifth grade Tyler. That was uneasy for me. Yeah, I was like, oh dude, gosh, so... them snapping out of his body. Ugh. Yeah, Keanu lost 15 pounds for for that that scene. Shaved every hair off of his body, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. And um, that part where yeah, you're talking about the 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 tubes snapping out of his spine and everything. That makes me cringe every time <laughs> I see it. And he's waking up and all that goop and stuff. Yeah. Ooh, could you imagine? Yeah, that's trippy uh-huh. stuff. And of course, the burned skies is visible. You can see how the disaster from the mm-hmm. war against the machines and the uh, the desert they called it everything's just gone to gone the to crap here in the real of world the real is what morpheus called it so uh let, let's move on with the 
the summary here. Mm-hmm. As Neo recuperates from a lifetime of physical inactivity in his pod, Morpheus explains the truth. In the early 21st century, there was a war between humans and intelligent machines. When humans blocked the machines' access to solar energy, the machines responded by harvesting the humans' bioelectric power, keeping them pacified in the Matrix, a shared simulated reality modeled after the world as it was at the end of the 20th century. While the machines have taken over the world, the city of Zion still remains as the last refuge of free humans. Morpheus and his crew are a group of rebels who hack into the Matrix to unplug enslaved humans and recruit them. Their understanding of the Matrix's simulated nature enables them to bend its physical laws, granting them superhuman abilities like flying, jumping, uh, they can learn karate in, in seconds from a computer, all that stuff. They can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Morpheus warns Neo that death within the Matrix also kills the physical body. The body cannot live without the mind. And your mind is fully plugged into the Matrix. And if your mind thinks it's dead, you're dead. Uh, he also tells Neo that the agents that he met are powerful, sentient computer programs that eliminate threats to the system, while machines called Sentinels search to destroy rebels in the real world. Neo's prowess during virtual combat training lends credibility to Morpheus' belief that Neo is the One, an especially powerful human prophesied to free humanity and end the war. Alright, so there's a lot of good stuff that happens here in, in this part of the movie. Uh, we get fam- a little more familiar with some of the crew members, like Mouse. I love Mouse. He only has a couple of scenes in there, but Mouse is the little guy who created the program where Morpheus is walking through the street with Neo, and he sees the the pretty chick in the red dress. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh, were you were you looking at the girl in the dress? Turn around!" And it's Agent Smith, and he's showing him like, "This is how you, you have to be careful in the Matrix. You can't draw attention to yourself. You can't make eye contact with people. Really, you can't get too close because anybody could be an agent at any time. Mm-hmm. Anyone who has never been unplugged." is a part of the system, therefore, they're your enemies. Morpheus says, he's like, yes, even though we're trying to save these people, they're a part of the system. They're so invested in it that there's they're, they're going to help to fight for it. So kind of essentially like, they're uh, also our like enemies. blood cells fight off a disease. Yeah, sort of, yeah. But uh, anyway, about Mouse, do you know where you have seen him before? Something about Mary. Mm, maybe. Oh, I know. Uh, but that's not the one I was going to talk about. <laughs> uh, was he a mouse hunt? No. Yes, he was, with Nathan Lane. Oh, well, I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> would, you, would you just... <laughs> okay. You have seen mouse. Here's your hint. You want to buy some death sticks? Is he in Attack of the Clones? That's him. He's the guy that sells Obi-Wan the Death, or tries to sell Obi-Wan the Death Holy Sticks. Holy crap. And then he goes home to rethink his life. That's Mouse. <laughs> you don't want to sell me Death Sticks. Uh, speaking of the scene when Morpheus is walking through the streets with Neo, I found out that apparently they hired a bunch of sets of twins to be the extras in that. So it kind of looks like the Matrix, or their system that they're using anyway, is just recreating different models of people over mm-hmm. and over again. So you can see the same person two or three times. Moving on. The group enters the Matrix to visit the Oracle, the prophet who predicted the emergence of the One. She suggests to Neo that he is not the One and warns that he will have to choose between Morpheus' life and his own. 
The group is ambushed by agents and tactical police tipped by Cypher, a disgruntled crew member who seeks to betray Morpheus in exchange for a comfortable life inside the Matrix. Morpheus allows himself to be captured so the rest of the crew can escape. Cypher exits the Matrix first and murders several crew members as they lie defenseless in the real world. Before he can kill Neo, Cypher is killed by Tank, a crewman who he had only wounded. Okay, so... The betrayal lots... happens. This is uh, the segment of the movie where we get the great scene with Cypher talking to the agent over dinner, sipping his wine, chewing his mm-hmm. steak, uh, being a big scumbag. But there's this really nice contrast between that, you know, this elegant, fancy restaurant, and then we see the crew members on the Nebuchadnezzar eating the porridge or the, that Ugh. sludge or whatever it is. Yeah. That goop. Yeah. Cypher calls it goop. He's like, I'm tired of waking up and eating the same goop every single day. Uh, you know, and for a bunch of dudes who are like Tank and Dozer, they're big buff dudes, like to have been eating porridge for their whole lives because they were born <laughs> in the real world. This is this is all they've ever had. This is all they know. Yeah. They're like... Big dudes, how'd they pull that off? <laughs> they maybe must have been maybe lifting that's, rocks for weights growing maybe up. That's, maybe that's why their names are Tank and Dozer. Possibly. Maybe they need an, another brother named Bull. <laughs> Bull and Dozer. Uh, we also get uh, the, the Oracle scene here, of course. Mm-hmm. This is like probably one of the most important scenes in the whole movie. Because this sets up the whole story of, of Neo being the one. We got the Oracle in there baking her cookies. Mm. Uh, well, before that, she's got those kids in the, like, the waiting room of her apartment. Yeah. And there's one All these bending kids. a spoon. Yeah, that, that's another iconic scene there. Uh, there is no spoon. Mm-hmm. You have to tell yourself that there is no spoon. So it's you that must bend. Mm. Uh, and that's what he... There's some point in the movie when he he referenced that again. Oh, when he, he cuts the, the cable in the elevator with Trinity... Yes. There is, there is no spoon. No spoon. Uh, but anyway, it's, this makes me wonder, how many people in the Matrix are aware of what's going on? If these kids are able to have these powers to move things and float things, they know the truth, right? Some mm-hmm. some people in the Matrix are born with that ability to like, kind know of snap out yeah. of it. Yeah. So I wonder how many people know. And uh, it seems like they're trying to figure out who the one is and all of these kids are potentially the one. Yeah. It's like an open call audition room for an extra on a TV show. Yeah. And these kids are like, Oh, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. (laughs) Uh, so Oracle's in there baking her cookies and they had that great interaction and she's kind of like, I kind of would have been pissed off if I was Neo because She's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I can see why she likes you. Who? Eh, she just ignores it, doesn't tell him. Like, she's speaking in riddles to him. I'd be mm-hmm. like, lady, can you just tell me the truth? I'm trying to not get killed by the, the squid creatures in the real world. <laughs> I need to know what to do. Can you give me some direction? And it's kind of like, I took the red pill for this, for you to tell me I'm, right. there's nothing special about me. And you don't, you know, you don't realize she's trying to tell him until the end, you don't realize that she's trying to tell him what he needs to be. Exactly. To yeah. be the one. She says, well, she flat out says, right, nobody can tell you you're the one. You have to know it. So what good would it do for her to then say, mm-hmm. yes, Neo, you're the one. She just gave him the answer right there. Nobody can tell you. Nobody. Not no. even me. You yeah. have to know it. 
And to tell him, oh, well, it's not you, and you have to choose between your life and Morpheus. One of you's going to die. You have to make the choice. That gives him the confidence to, to make that move to save Morpheus and then become the one. He knows mm-hmm. he's the one. And that's when he's able to stop the bullets and, and all that cool stuff. Yeah. I wish you could I wish we were in person right now because I'm like holding my hands up like Keanu does, stopping the bullets. There's nobody watching. <laughs> so uh anyway, Oracle's she's pretty smart here. She she does tell him exactly what he needs to know. Yeah. And uh everything works out. All right. So uh, uh the last thing that we ended with on that part of the summary was when Cypher turned on the crew and mm-hmm. uh he was unplugging everybody. That's a pretty tense scene. He's on the phone with Trinity. And he's unplugging uh, APOC mm. and Switch, and they're dead. They just fall she, over and, dead right there. Uh, Switch goes, not like this. Not like oh, this. Oh, yeah, not like this. So when he's on the phone with, with Trinity, though, he's looking at Neo, and he says, you know, if it's true that Neo's the one, there's no way that I can kill him, right? Mm-hmm. Then I, w- I would be changing history. So if I try to pull the plug, something's going to stop me. Some miracle has to happen. Guess what? A miracle does happen mm-hmm. because he thought that he had killed Tank. Tank essentially comes back from the dead. I mean, mm-hmm. he wasn't dead. We just thought he was dead. But yeah. he, he survived, and he stops him just in time. A miracle. So all of the hints are there. Like Obviously, we know from the beginning, clearly Neo's the one because he's the main character of the story, right? Yes. But all those things tie together to show you everything's happening for a reason. He is definitely the one. There's no way around it. I enjoyed that because it it just builds up like he's just going on and he's like, I'm going to do it, Trinity. Here's the moment. If he's the one, then some miraculous thing has to happen. Something and he's just going on and on and he goes, you've got to be kidding. Holy crap. Boom. Believe it or not, you son of a gun, you're still going to burn. <laughs> Love that scene. Love it. And there's... That marks the end of Cypher. Yep. All right, so let's uh, continue here with the third act of the story. In the Matrix, the agents interrogate Morpheus to learn his access codes to the mainframe computer in Zion. Tank proposes killing Morpheus to prevent this, but Neo resolves to return to the Matrix and rescue Morpheus as prophesied by the Oracle. Trinity insists she accompany him. While rescuing Morpheus, Neo gains confidence in his abilities, performing feats comparable to the agents. Morpheus and Trinity exit the Matrix, but Smith ambushes and kills Neo before he can leave. As a group of Sentinels attack the Nebuchadnezzar, Trinity whispers to Neo that he cannot be dead because she loves him, and the Oracle once told her that she would fall in love with the One. She kisses Neo, and she revives him with newfound power to perceive and control the Matrix. He he effortlessly defeats Smith and leaves the Matrix just in time for the ship's electromagnetic pulse to disable the Sentinels. Later, Neo makes a telephone call inside the Matrix, promising the machines that he will show their prisoners a world where anything is possible. He hangs up and flies into the sky. Mm. And credits. And then, boom, we get that awesome, awesome theme song uh, during the credits by Rage Against the Machine. Oh, yeah. Great, I mean, great final act. Great scenes. Uh, you get uh, him becoming the one. You get the lobby shootout with him and Trinity uh, taking on those uh, tactical officers. Um, 
a lot of iconic moments. You get the bullet dodge moment mm-hmm. that just changed our lives cinematically. <laughs> um, it's just a great third act in a science, sci-fi movie, I think. One of the I best touched, third acts. I touched on it earlier about the scene with Agent Smith interrogating Morpheus. Man, Hugo Weaving kills it in this scene. Mm-hmm. That is such a good monologue. If you, it's I think it's split up into like three parts, but if you put all that together, that's a really good long dramatic monologue. And he's talking about how the first the first Matrix was a utopia. They wanted to make the humans happy and and everything because in the war, this is all like backstory stuff. But in the war between the humans and the machines, obviously the humans lost, and the machines said, okay you have to give us your flesh and we will give you like this, this uh, fancy utopia world mm-hmm. and everything will be perfect. So this is why they agreed to, the humans agreed to become enslaved basically. Yeah. And so he's talking about how it was the perfect world and everybody was happy and there was no suffering, but it failed. It was a disaster because the human mind for some reason would not accept that program. It just wasn't, realistic i guess for some reason or he said it didn't work because humans seem to define their existence with suffering and misery and his job is to eliminate the rest of humanity in the real world the the freed people and he compares those rebels to to dinosaurs it's the end like the dinosaurs era came to an end then came the humans now it's the end of the human era and it's the dawn of the machines. It's mm. our time now. That whole scene is just killer, It would be a fantastic dude. scene to do as an audition piece. Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. That'd and cool. and, uh, and Lawrence Fishburne as well there. Like he's all drugged up or beaten up and tired. And his eyes are rolling back in the back of his head. He does a great job too. And he doesn't even say anything. I know. My boy Lawrence Fishburne, he was 37 years old. During the filming of this movie, he looks so young, thirty-seven. I mean, think about it. he was just in uh, Ant Man and the Wasp, right? He was mm-hmm. Bill Foster, yeah. yeah, Goliath. And look, look back at Morpheus; he's so young. Wow! I got to see Lawrence Fishburne in a one-man show in Washington D.C. What was the show? Third. It was about Thurgood Marshall. He played Thurgood Marshall. Gotcha. Oh yeah, it was incredible. Uh, so I love him. He's he's one of my favorites. Another one of my favorite things. A little thing uh, was when Neo and Agent Smith were having their last battle in the subway. Neo's doing all of his karate poses, and he holds his hand out, and he does the little come here thing. Morpheus <laughs> does that in their first little little spar at the beginning yeah. of the movie. So he's kind of doing that, I guess, like in honor of him. Makes me yeah. think of The Rock. The Rock used to do that. Yeah, the come Just here. bring it, you know? Yeah. Just bring it. And And what a great way to end the movie. That last shot of Neo flying up through the sky... Like he's really come into his powers now. Now he's mm-hmm. flying, so mm-hmm. uh, love that, and that's it. That's all well, I it's kind of like this whole like once you just believe it, the things that you'll be able to do for yourself. Once right. you just believe it, not just Neo as the one, but humanity. If you just believe you can do it, you can. Exactly. You just got to do it. Nobody can tell you you can or can't. You have to do it. Just. Do it! Uh, I think even there's this day that message stands the test of time. There's a difference in knowing the path and following the path. Mm. So says Morpheus. Yes. All right, so you got some uh, unknown facts here. Got some for me. facts. Unknown facts about the Matrix that'll make you question if you took the red pill. 
The unknown city in the Matrix is Sydney, Australia. But the street signs that you see in the scenes are from Chicago street signs, which are the home of the Wachowskis. I'd like to think that I would do something like that too, like put little references to I think home you in, my, in my work. Yeah, I think you would. Next one. Though they liked the idea, the studio originally did not want the Wachowskis to direct the films. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's different. They're, uh, they're different people. Yeah. Um, I played the Enter the Matrix video game. Oh, yeah. And they did, you know, after you beat the game, there's this little post credit scene with the Wachowskis, but it's not them. They're like these little 8 bit characters. And they say, this is our uh, bonus end that we ended up not doing, but we kind of wanted to do. And it's them talking. So that was kind of cool. Um, I enjoyed those Matrix games. I wish that they would come back with a really cool new gen Matrix game. That would be awesome. The next one, 1994 film, Fists of Legends choreographer and martial artist Yun Wu Ping did all the outlandish fight scenes for them. Uh, before Fishburne took the role of Morpheus, it was turned down by Russell Crowe, Samuel L. Jackson, <laughs> which would basically be Nick Fury as Morpheus. That would have been interesting. You want the red pill or the blue? <laughs> Make up your mind. And I read a report saying Sean Connery turned it down, but you had said That's, that it wasn't yeah. that role. So, so I've heard that that rumor yeah. through the years as well that Sean Connery was offered Morpheus and he turned it down because he he didn't understand the story, and which is a I, shock because he turned down Gandalf too. Right. Well, he, he turned down Gandalf because he. He didn't want to that, and he didn't want to be in New Zealand for eighteen months. But I actually read that he was not considered for Morpheus because uh, he he might have been a little too old. He was actually considered for the Architect in the the later movies, hmm. which would have been really great. Oh, if you ask me, it would have been good. Definitely would have been good. The next one, the Wachowskis had the cast read deep philosophical books like Simulacra and Simulation. Out of control and introducing evolutionary psychology. <laughs> Imagine that. Like, you've been cast. Here's your homework. Yeah, <laughs> Here's I these mean, ridiculous I think philosophical books you have to read. For a story like this to work and be believable, everybody has to be on the same page. And everybody mm -hmm. has to fully understand this world and what sort of message that they're really trying to tell you. And I, I think it's smart to, to do studying like that. Before Agreed. you tackle something like this. So, Absolutely. Good move. The filmmakers also color-coded the movie. Scenes in the Matrix are given a green tint scene, and or a green tint, and scenes in the real world were given a blue tint. Yeah, now that you now that you mentioned that, you can definitely see that if you think back to it. And also through the future movies too. Uh the second and third movies as well. Mm-hmm. Uh moving on, Hugo Weaving based Agent Smith's voice on the Wachowski's actual voice. I guess that's pretty cool. I didn't think when I've heard them talk, they talked like this a lot. The next saturated one, by it. Saturated. It's the smell. It's the smell. It. If there is such a thing. <laughs> 
The leads trained God, intensely him. for hours every day for four months to perfect their choreography in their fight scenes. Hard work pays off because mm-hmm. they have some of the coolest fight scenes uh, that there are. Absolutely. Um, moving on, the next one. Keanu Reeves had cervical spine surgery prior to training, causing him to wear a neck brace throughout the four-month period. This caused some changes, like barely letting him kick in the first film. Yeah, that's a pretty big problem. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine so. Moving on, another injury. Hugo Weaving had to undergo hip surgery after an injury during fight training. His finished fight scenes were filmed after the movie was done to give him time to heal. That's pretty cool. Neo and Trinity's three-minute lobby shootout took ten days to, no pun intended, shoot. (laughs) The explosions and gunfire were practical effects, not CGI. Yeah, that's right. Do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. Like the professionals Be careful. (laughs) Yeah, and then wash your hands. (laughs) All the sunglasses were custom-made for each character by Blind Designs. However... Morpheus is is so cool, he doesn't even need the the, the little... the, the things that sit on your temple, ears. The temples, you know? Yeah. His glasses um, are held up sit. by his badassery. <laughs> and his cheeks, I guess. Even though it's been used in many games now, the famous bullet time was conceived specifically for this movie. It was created by using 120 individual digital still cameras and two big film cameras. The still frames were carefully stitched together to create the shot frame by frame. Yeah, iconic. It's a lot of in-depth work for your department to have to do. I got one more for you. Okay. Uh, This this is a really random... uh, I don't know why I know this, but I wrote it down. (laughs) 44 out of Neo's first 80 lines, all taking place in the first 45 minutes of the movie, Mm -hmm. are questions. In 45 minutes... Neo asked 44 questions. Out of 80 lines? Out of 80 lines that he has. Wow. But I guess, you know, if you take if you take the, the, the pill and wind up in the Matrix, you'd have a lot of questions. I too, would have so a lot of questions. Can't fault him there. Well, this has been great. Uh, I love the Matrix, obviously. I've been super pumped about this. I'm mm-hmm. excited to continue talking about the Matrix because... Yes. What better time to talk about The Matrix than the month of May? So Mm. now, May 1st, we've covered The Matrix 1. We're going to continue with the rest of the trilogy uh, throughout this month. Uh, Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions. People at home, make sure you watch those with us and join in on the conversation. Send us questions, thoughts, talking points, whatever. Mm -hmm. But other than The Matrix, we got a couple other things coming up. Like next week, for example. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about some of the biggest names in voice acting throughout the Nerdiverse. And I will be doing that all while auditioning for voice acting jobs as well. You may get to hear some of my impressions of people. I think I'm pretty good. This will be up for you all to judge on some of these. <laughs> uh, that's going to get exciting. We'll get to talk about people like Nolan North, Troy Baker, Jim Cummings, uh Voices that have brought together our our nerdy lives through the world of animation. And video games, of course. And video games. Uh, So please send in questions and thoughts, not just about the Matrix, but about voices. And we're also doing something really, really cool. JD, let them know. 
We're going to try a watch along. Uh, this is going to be something we're all going to agree on what we want to watch. Preferably like an episode of something like a, a 30 minute show. Tyler and I are going to put it on with uh, no volume and we're just going to do commentary over what we're seeing and you guys can watch along and, and join in with us on that. But before we can do that, we got to decide what we're going to watch. So please offer up some suggestions. What would you like to talk about? What what would be a fun watch along show to do? So mm-hmm. if we can get some suggestions, we'll narrow it down to like three or four things and, and we'll have a vote on it. So give us some, some ideas on that. Watch along. It's going to be great. Absolutely. It's going to be exciting. Um, you can let us know your suggestions by, via email or Facebook or Twitter. Uh, let us know, please. Also, we want to thank our lovely, lovely Patreon supporters. Um, right now, we're running a COVID-19 special on our Patreon page for just a dollar a month uh, for as long as this thing lasts uh, through June, July, however long it lasts. We're going to continue this deal for a dollar a month. You get to be a Patreon supporter and get every single thing that we have done exclusively for Patreon. Um, things we've done in the past, bloopers, unaired scenes, which we have a lot of those, uh, off-air off segments and discussion. Uh, you also get to get a quick glimpse of what's coming up the month prior before we release it to the main media. And we also uh, we also get your feelings on stuff. Uh, the bracket that we did during the month of March was a suggestion from one of our Patreon supporters. So we're constantly involved with you on Patreon. So please, if you have a dollar a month to spare, check that deal out. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And Couldn't be any better if it was for free. <laughs> No, it couldn't. Um, <laughs> um, also, thank you to all those who continue to rate our show and our individual episodes on podchaser.com. If you haven't, check out podchaser.com. Look for 30 and Nerdy Podcast and please leave us. We will be eternally grateful. Um... If you leave us five stars, we will not unplug you from the matrix that you are living in day in and day out. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Continue to follow us through the month of May. If there's absolutely anything you want us to discuss following the matrix, please, 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 we want you all to be involved in our matrix conversations. Things that maybe we didn't talk about in this first episode. Things in the second and third you want us to discuss in detail. We want you all involved in our matrix conversation because it's uh, it's a great thing to be discussing in the days that we are living throughout COVID-19 and, and the globe pandemic. Uh, so please stay safe out there. Thank you again to all the first responders and essential employees. Um, please continue to do all you can to uh, lessen the spread of this pandemic. Wash your hands. Cover your mouth. Don't go out if you absolutely do not have to. Please. Um, yeah. And while you're in quarantine, go to our Facebook page and check out our cool new video from mm-hmm. Freddy Cat Productions. It's a hoot. It's a lot of fun. And I think you'll enjoy it. And it's so us. It's so us. So us. It's, yeah, it's perfect. Oh, man, happy one year. Happy one year to you, man. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And I guess uh, that's about all I have to say about that. That's all we got this week. We will catch you, Copper Tops, next time.
You've been listening to the 30 and Nerdy Podcast with your hosts, Josh Davis and Tyler McDaniel. Brought to you by Advertising Expressions, Encore Theatrical Company. 30 and Nerdy is an alternate reality radio podcast and a member of the Legion of Independent Podcasts and a Badcast Company production. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join the conversation using the hashtag 30andNerdyPod. Find us in the Pod Nation on Podchaser.com and rate this episode. Got something to say? Let us know. Email us at 30andNerdyPod at gmail.com. Cheers to you, nerds. That's all, folks.